This is a special edition of the Live a Great Story podcast that was actually recorded live at a monthly event hosted in Austin, Texas last year called Story Night. And so the stories you're going to hear are from five different people who shared stories around a certain theme. So the way that Story Night worked was each month there were two themes and each theme had two speakers. So the speaker would share a quick four or five minute story to introduce the theme. And then what ended up being the coolest part of this experience was breaking out into small groups. So we had about 40 to 50 attendees every month and the speaker would introduce the story, share a story around the theme, and then the attendees would break out into groups of four and five to share their own stories. And so you would end up with a group of people sharing stories on the theme. And this was a really special monthly experience because no matter the difference or where you came from or, you know, some of the different stories that people shared, what ended up happening was connecting through stories and you're sitting there listening to someone's story and maybe it's way different than the story that you shared, but somehow very much still relatable. And this is kind of overall what the theme of Live a Great Story is all about is that sharing your stories about your life and where you came from and what you're doing and what you've gone through and where you're going is infinitely relatable to other people because at the end, we're all just humans and we're each living our own story. And so these five stories came from Story Night and actually Story Night is coming back. So the next Story Night is being hosted this week and will probably continue in Austin and other places in the country. So if you're interested in hosting your own Story Night, go ahead and send an email to Live a Great Story and we can chat about uh, how to make that happen in your town so that you can you know, bring some people together to share stories. So enjoy these five stories. They're all back to back to back, uh, kicking off with me, Zach, founder of Live a Great Story, with the first one and then four other speakers. So enjoy and definitely reach out if you want to host your own story night. Welcome back to the Live a Great Story podcast, a weekly show focused on inspiring you to live your own great story. Each episode touches on universal themes ranging from crazy adventures to overcoming adversity, making a positive impact, changing your life's course, and more important lessons that will help inspire your journey. I'm Zach Horvath, founder of Live a Great Story, and since 2014, I've been on a mission of inspiring and connecting people through stories. What started with some spray-painted street art has now grown into a worldwide movement. We are all on our own journey. No matter where we came from, what language we speak, the color of our skin, or anything that seemingly makes us different, in the end, we are all just humans living our own story and it's up to you to be the hero of your story, which inspires other people to do the same. This podcast is all about inspiring you and your journey. If you resonate with this episode, please share it with someone who needs some inspiration too. And if you want a reminder to keep living your own great story, head to liveagreatstory.com to buy some inspiring apparel or accessories and for more stories from people just like you. Enjoy the show. When 
When I was going to get my motorcycle license, I had this idea that one day I needed to learn how to ride a motorcycle because some guys were going to be chasing me with guns and I was going to have to hop on a motorcycle that I found on the street and I was going to have to take off through some back roads of some foreign country. Little did I know that that motorcycle would actually get me into that same situation. I was moving to San Diego and I was, I sold my car before and I was going to move to San Diego and I was moving on Tuesday. On Saturday, I signed up for my motorcycle license. On Sunday, I completed it. On Monday, I got my actual license. And on Tuesday, I moved to San Diego and ended up buying this badass 1986 dirt bike. It was hardly street legal, but it was loud. It was mean. Uh, she was just a total badass. And so one day, I was hanging out with my friends. It was my friend's birthday. And I had like this split window of time where I could go grab a couple drinks before I had to go to work at the bar that I was working at. And so I was downtown San Diego, we're hanging out. I was like, I can have just enough drinks to go to work, probably too many drinks to ride my motorcycle, but I was tiptoeing that line. So I wrapped up and I was like, all right, peace out, I got I got a cruise. So I hopped on my bike and was riding to work, or riding home before I was gonna go to work. And I pull up to this light in downtown San Diego. It's like a Tuesday at 4 p.m. It's like broad daylight, it's just, full-on life happening there's like never expected for what was about to happen to happen when I pulled up in front of this car at a red light and I pull up at the car at the red light and I'm sitting there on my motorcycle just like kind of chilling and the light turns green the car doesn't move I'm waiting I'm waiting light turns red I'm like hmm it's weird light turns green again and they're not moving and I kind of like rev my motorcycle because if you've ridden a motorcycle, that's kind of what you do. You know, like, brah, brah, brah. <laughs> you know, get going. And so I'm sitting there and with like almost instantaneously, the car door opens, the, the passenger car door opens, and this dude gets out and he's denim Dan, top to bottom, denim jacket, denim face tats, slicked down like greaser hair. And he just starts full speed walking at me. So I'm like 10 feet, 15 feet away from the bumper. So I'm like right behind this dude and he's just coming full speed. And I don't even have enough time to like turn my bike off. I like jump off my bike, like pop the clutch, like, and he's here and he's coming at me and I'm backing up, I'm backing up. And he's like right there. And I'm just like, you know, you're supposed to take your helmet off when you get in a fight. Couldn't even do that. Right. So I'm just like, And so we're, you know, we're talking trash and, and then, you know, he, he pushes me and I push him back and we're just like, you know, what, 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 and I push him and he literally jumps back like this and flips out a knife. I'm like, bro, get out of here. I'm not trying to fucking fight you, dude. <laughs> like, what are you doing, man? Get out of here. Get out of here. And, um, you know, and, and so then he goes back, he starts walking back to his car. I'm like checking myself. Like, you know, things happen really fast when that happens. Like this is all within a split second. So I'm like, cool. I'm not stabbed <laughs> and I pull my bike to the side and there's this guy that was like watching the whole thing and I'm like dude he's like dude that was crazy I'm like tell me about it <laughs> and so I'm like there's like cars behind me honking and it was just like and then and so we're just sitting there just kind of like catching my breath and he taps me he's like bro he's coming back he's coming back and the same dude is like full speed coming across the street like full speed almost running at me and, and you know within a split second he's on the sidewalk and he's right there and I'm backing up by this time I have my helmet off so I'm like you know this I'm looking at his hands I'm like does he have the knife out he didn't have the knife out but he's coming he's coming and it was just like a face-off like we're just like face to face 
And so he's coming up, and he just haymaker swings, like full on. And I just duck like it was out of a movie. I just like this. And with my helmet, boom! And perfectly nailed him. And the, the homie just drops, like drops down and is out cold. And I look, and this dude is filming the whole thing. He's like, ah! And he's like, dude, get out of here, bro. Get out of here. Get out of here. And I'm just like, what? And this dude just KO'd on the floor. And I, and I, and, and so I, I get on my motorcycle and I'm like trying to kick it over. It's like not kicking. And I'm like, what's going to happen? And, uh, you know, my earpiece had fallen out. I'm like trying to kick it and I just get it on and just floor it home. I get home. I'm like doing like laps around my room. I'm like, like I hear helicopters. I'm like, they're coming to get me. <laughs> And I'm like, I called my buddies, and I was new to San Diego, so like, I wasn't, I didn't have that many friends there. So I called some friends from Austin, and no one picks up. I called my other friend from Austin, no one picks up. I'm like, I'm like, who do I call? <laughs> and so I'm freaking out, freaking out. I gotta go to work in a second. And so I'm like, what do I do? What do I do? I sit down, and I buy these pair of shoes. <laughs> hey, hey, let me tell a story. <laughs> hey, that's that's great, no. Let's give him a hand. <laughs> Wow. Almost got stabbed? Damn. There's one benefit to being a large black man is people don't usually choose violence when they come at me. <laughs> I get to walk this earth peacefully, thankfully. Uh, now, when Zach came to me and said, I want to hear a story about close call, I've been sober for five years. So as you can know, I've gotten into some very weird shit. Can you, say, can you say that here? Uh, so I'm actually not going to go quite that crazy because I got some stories that you probably couldn't tell to a, a dark creature in a dark cave. But I do have a good one, okay? It's a little different. So picture me, San Francisco, 2009, a young man, hungry to take on the world. I was interning with a sports agent, NFL sports agent, you know, meeting NFL players. Life was good. Life was very good. So my boss, he told me to sign up at the San Francisco Bay Club, which was the premier gym in San Francisco. So I could network and meet some high powered individuals. And, and I did that. So I went there and I was meeting some, some badass people. And one day I was working out and I struck up a conversation with this guy named Michael. He was a cool guy. He was super cool. He had, uh, he had gray hair. He's probably in his sixties. Uh, he had invested in Apple early, uh, had an incredible art collection, and he was just telling me all these awesome things that he had done. And, and I was like, okay, you know, maybe I'll leverage this. You know, who knows? Who knows where the world is going to take me? Maybe I can get a job out of it or something, you know? So, you know, we got to chatting. He, he thought I was cool. He, he wanted to network with me. So he said, you know, let's, uh, let's go have a meeting sometime. And I'm like, yes, this is awesome. I'm rich already. I can already see the money. Uh, so he invites me to this restaurant. It was called Spruce, beautiful restaurant in San Francisco. We walk in, there's ostrich leather chairs, beautiful aromas coming from the hearth grill. We sit down, he orders a, a nice like $200 bottle of Pinot Noir, like 2008 from Santa Barbara with notes of strawberry and chocolate, little, little potpourri on the nose. I'm seriously like, I'm, I'm thinking that I made it. Like, this is my opportunity. So if I show up at this, what I thought was a job interview, 
and prove to him that I am valuable and that I have a wide range of skills, then he's going to give me a shot. I don't know where it's going to go, but he's going to give me a really good shot. So again, we start talking, really good conversation. This dude is super interesting. And I could tell that, you know, we're, we're definitely vibing. And I'm like, okay, this is good. This, this, this networking is going very good. And then there was a, there was a, pivot, a pivotal point in the networking <laughs> moment, as I thought. And I don't remember what we were talking about, but he asked me, he did one of these things, like, how big are your hands? And he, he put his hands up for me. And I put my hand on his and I looked him directly in the eye. I was feeling a little, a little twisty-turvy from the Pinot Noir. And in that moment, I realized that I was on a date with the man. I was on a date with the man. Uh, yeah, in my head, I was like, yes, this is in fact a date. I'm on a date. So I didn't freak out. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a straight man, but I'm not homophobic in any sense. So I was just like, okay, well, this is fine. You know, I'll just, I'll just, uh, you know, become a sugar baby or, or I'll just go home. Uh, so the date finishes and he, <laughs> he's like, he's like, so do you want to come back to my place and check out the artwork? And I'm, I made up some bullshit excuse. I was like, dude, I got to wake up early. I got to do my taxes. It was June. <laughs> I was like, I got to do my taxes. I'm, I'm really sorry. I'm very type A, like to be on top of things. So this is what I got to do. And uh, he was super pushy. And so finally I was able to leave. But that's not where the story ends. I wish it was, I wish it was where it was end. So at the Bay Club, um, first of all, you know it's a really good gym when they have leather couches. And in the male locker room, at a nice gym, the old men like to sit on the leather couches, spread eagle, butt naked, with everything on display. That's just how it rolls. So anyways, I finish up my gym workout. I'm in the shower, and they have these shower stalls. And I'm just, you know, probably, you know, singing some 50 Cent in the shower, you know, just living my best life. And Michael opens the shower curtain. <laughs> he opens the shower curtain. And that's when I was like, I, I, I got out and I was like, Michael, come on, man. Seriously, seriously, dude. Like, I'm like, seriously. Okay. So what I learned from this whole experience was how intense men can be. I've, I've, I've heard this story with women. I see some women nodding their heads. I haven't heard many men have women come out to them like that, but Man, they were, he was relentless and it was really uncomfortable. And I still wanted to be a member of the gym. So every time I saw him, I had to go to the other side because I didn't want to talk to him about it. But anyways, that was my close call with becoming a sugar baby. I guess I want to share because they haven't arrived and it's more ordinary than maybe the stories you've heard tonight. It wasn't like an epic movie where I'm getting in a fight in San Diego and it's not like some vastly gorgeous place but it's kind of ordinary and it matters too and each of your ordinary stories matter and doesn't have to be extraordinary doesn't have to be spectacular so that's why I'm standing up here <clears throat> I was married for upward upwards of 10 years I got married really young it was my first partner and we had three children together, and we 
I say we because I supported him. I stayed at home. I homeschooled. I got to bake things with my kids and go to museums when everyone was at work or at school. And it was this really beautiful life that was everything that I thought I had wanted. And we were building this business. We had been very entrepreneurial. And so we're building this business. We're set to have like half a million dollars in the fall, spring at this point, a million next year. And his business partner walks into a meeting one day and quits. Change in management pulls all of our funding. We lose everything. And with that, my then husband came to face himself. He had lost everything and realized that what was most true about him was that he was gay. So I'm living in our beautiful house with our beautiful children. And we're, you know, we're like, okay, yeah, we'll figure this out. We'll keep pivoting. It's going to be fine. No big deal. Um, it's not fine. The pivots don't work. The idea is not working. So we're selling stuff. We're like selling our belongings. And we get to a point where it's like, okay, we're going to have to leave this beautiful house. Where are we going to go? His family had an RV on their property right outside of a business that they run. And so we sell everything. We put whatever we most treasure into storage. And we move in with our three children into an RV. So I'm sleeping in this bed with my gay husband, because we don't have money to get divorced, with our young child in between us and our two daughters in pallets on the floor. And then, you know, this is October of 2019, 2020. We're like, yeah, we're going to like figure this out. And then COVID, of course. So opportunities are not there. So we remain in an RV with our three children. And he's in deep, deep, deep grief. Starting something again is not on his radar. I'm at the point where I'm like, I don't know if I have, we, like, we need to, like, I need to buy our kids clothes. They're growing. I hadn't worked a job in 10 years. So I came to him one day and I said, I accept your process and where you're at. But if you don't get a job, I'm going to have to. And what I can earn is not nearly the amount that you're going to earn. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to get a job. I'm going to leave my lovely little cush life. And I'm going to stop homeschooling my children. And they're going to stay at home with their dad. And so um, this opportunity arose to be a guide. It's kind of like a teacher at Acton Academy. And I applied, I did the whole thing, and I got the job. And with all of this, I kind of began to think, like, what do I want to do with my life? Who am I? What do I care about? If I'm not this, like, stay-at-home mom who homeschools, like, what am I? Who am I? What do I love to do? So I'm in this role kind of with this in the back of my mind. And um, I loved the work, but I had been with children and working with children for, like, 14 years. And there were other pieces of me that I really wanted to explore. And the environment in which I working, was working was really not healthy. And despite my best efforts, I couldn't change the upper management. And it became to a point where I just decided that this was no longer sustainable. I didn't know what I was going to do, right? Like, I landed this job, but could I get another one? What do I do? Do I actually want to go get another job? Like, is a job the thing? And so through lots of deep questioning and soul searching, I decided that I wanted to pursue building this business in interior design. And so I left my job in December of last year. And since then, I've had moments where I've felt completely foolish. I've had the support of my current partner to help me through in moments. But the interesting thing is, is that 
my thing is free falling and it's in the not now because I don't I don't have it figured out I don't have the answer I don't know what the path is I keep getting these little breadcrumbs right like I got this little uh this little one here where I landed this like really cool gig and I got to furnish an Airbnb and then I met this connection while Ubering and they're like yeah we totally love your business call us when you're seeking investment and it's like all these little things are coming together and I try to cling to those because there's moments where it's like can't pay my bills <laughs> my kids need clothes and I'm gonna have to prioritize that and I'm gonna have to be late on this payment and it's in the not now it's in that deep trust of knowing and just showing up every day and doing the very next right thing because all that's real is this moment and it's not the past and it's not the future but I'm committed to the not here thank you I wanted to go so Banff was on my bucket list I, I COVID put me through it. I lost basically my business, my whole life and everything like that. And at the end of that, yeah, no big deal. And while that was happening, uh, <laughs> I got, ro I got robbed four different times at the end of that. So my studio got broken into twice, like my, my office, like ransacked, like, you know, glass shattered, TVs ripped off the wall, the whole thing. And, um, it was time for me to go. And so I did what any rational person would do. I sold everything I had, subletted my apartment, bought an SUV, built it out and just drove to the mountains. Like, just a rational thing for me. And um, Banff was always on my bucket list, like of just places around the world I wanted to go. And I finally made it there like a year into this journey of like back and forth, back to Texas, back to whatever. I, and it started when I was in, I was in Montana. I was like, wow, I'm like six hours from like one of my bucket list places. I wasn't planning on going. And I was like, I'm here. I got to go. So they just opened the borders. This is this, this past fall. And I, you had to be vaccinated, get a, um, a COVID test, all that stuff. But they only accept the type of COVID test where you had to wait a few days, like send it in and all that stuff. And so I did the whole thing, got to the border. They searched the hell out of my car. I was the only person at the border, literally the only person going in or out of the country. And I think the Texas license plate was like a gun flag or something. And so I'm, they turned my car upside down, except for the rooftop like storage where I could have had a grenade. And like they would, anyway, it was just a frustrating thing. So like, it was a lot of friction to get into Canada. I got up there, camped for the night, and the next morning I went to Lake Louise. Beautiful. And from Lake Louise, you go up this six-mile road to Moraine Lake, which was like my pinnacle place. So I turn on the road, and it's closed for the season. It closed two days before I got there, the same time I was waiting for my COVID test. And so I'm sitting there just bummed. And it's a, it's a six-mile hike, that road. And I was like, man, I came this far. I'm, I'm doing it. And so I camped that night in my car at the gate. Um, woke up early that morning. It was like pitch black. I want to get there for sunrise. It's like a two and a half hike. I'm like, two and a half hour hike. I'm like, okay, I can get there. F it. Like, I'm not a big hiker, but I gave myself that pep talk. I start walking and this guy's coming back. And it's like five in the morning, you know? And I'm like, where's he coming back from? I was like, hey, did you go to the lake? He's like, no, nah, I was rock climbing with my buddy. He's still sleeping by the river somewhere. And I'm like, oh, these guys are kind of hardcore. So I'm like, cool, man. See ya. So I start walking and he goes, hey, do you have bear spray? And I'm like, yeah, of course. It's right here on the side of my bag. Okay, cool. Well, I saw a bitch grizzly about a kilometer down the road. You should be fine. And I'm like, fuck, man. Like, I don't call, like, I'm the bitch. Like, there's not a bitch, like, a bitch and grizzly. Like, and so, like, so I start walking. And now I'm just like in my head, like, okay, just walk faster or whatever. And I get there, and I look about a kilometer down the road. I get there, and sure enough, I look up, and I don't see a bitch, but I see a full-grown grizzly bear. <laughs> and I just freeze. I'm staring this thing in the eyes, which you're not supposed to do. 
<laughs> and I'm just like, I start reaching for my bear spray back, uh, you know, backing up slowly. And I pull out a 50 millimeter lens. I had switched out my lens for my bear spray two days before and completely forgot to dummy check it. So I have no bear spray. I'm just in the middle of Canada in a bear with a bear. And so fortunately, the bear allowed me to live that day and I walked back to my car and I'm just defeated. So I go down to the village and I see this little store and they are renting bikes and e-bikes. And I'm like, why didn't I think about that the first time, you know? And so I go and I rent an e-bike, load it up in my car, uh, take it to the thing, and I start biking. And I go on the most epic 45-minute bike ride of my life. So I went from a two-and-a-half-hour walk to a 45-minute bike ride. And I don't know if you all – I'll show you here in a sec, but it's the most magical place I've ever been. And so I finally get to this lake, and they're just blue, like a fake-looking blue color. I'm the only person there, literally the only person in this entire lake area, one of the most sought-after like destination places in the world. Had I gotten there two days earlier, like I planned, there would have been tourists and like nowhere to park and all this stuff. And so I was forced to go through the, these obstacles. And not only was it a much harder, like scary, terrifying, exhilarating experience, but it made the payoff that much more exciting. And so, yeah, this is actually a picture from that day. So that's, so I had that whole place to myself. And there's a lot of content on my Instagram, if you guys care, deep snap, but I, I like filmed the whole thing. <laughs> but uh, basically, like, I know the theme is like this, the path that that's not or whatever. But sometimes, like for me, <laughs> sometimes you're on the right path and you like, you might bail on it because something gets hard. And really, the payoff will just be that much better if you have resilience and like take a second, you know, reflect, you know, refresh your mind, whatever. And again, the payoff is like that hangs on my wall now and every day in my startup when, you know, a client gives me hell, something doesn't work. It's just like, okay, hold on, just forge through, play the long game, big picture and um, keeps me going. So yeah, that's my story. Pretty much uh, growing up, I have 50 siblings um, all together. That's another story for another day, but uh, holidays are pretty crazy. And within living with 50 siblings, I was always the fastest, most athletic. So like athleticism didn't really, it was kind of like just my thing. Like I just kind of took it for granted. Um, I ended up being homeschooled all growing up and walked on to play college football, D1. I uh, mascotted in college. I also uh, toured for a year after college in dance. And then um, after that, I got into stunts and parkour. Um, I represented Team USA on Ultimate Beastmaster on Netflix. And so, like, in 2018, I was at a really high, like, for my ego and for my athleticism. Um, and then God humbled me. And um, eventually I got hit by a car doing a stunt for Marvel Live, and I shattered my leg in seven pieces. Um, I couldn't walk for on my own for nine months. Um, I had 32-plus injuries. I was in a medically induced coma for a week and a half. I had six, seven surgeries, and um, I was kind of like loopy out of it for about four months. And um, what happened was my sister gave me my playlist of music that I used to listen to, and once I put the headphones on, everything just came back to me, and I realized the extent of my injuries. So... That wasn't really the thing that scared the shit out of me. What really did was my mindset. 
I remember the doctor coming to me and he's like, because you're so young, you're going to heal fast. But the reality is I've seen the videos of the things you used to do and the way your body's going to heal, you might not be able to do the things you used to do. And um, I sat with that for about a week and that was probably the lowest part of the, my recovery process, just realizing that I wasn't going to be that athletic guy anymore. And um, I self-taught myself to flip since I was 10 years old. And I was always like, hey, Dre, the guy that does backflips. So sitting with the thought of I can't walk, I scooted up the stairs for months. Um, I had crutches, wheelchair, all that stuff. And so sitting with that for about a week, um, I got to a really low place. And I hopped on social media, saw David Goggins. Anybody know David Goggins? <laughs> I saw a motivational video from him. And I can't remember which one it was, but pretty much it was like, the, the things you think about the future haven't happened yet. You know, the doctor said that you might not be able to do all these things, but it hasn't happened yet. And I was in charge of my reality. And so I was thinking of the negative. I'm probably not going to be able to flip again. Probably not going to be able to jump, walk, and stuff like that. But it hasn't happened yet. So I wanted to see what would happen if I never gave up. If I kept, you know, my head down and started, you know, going to therapy, going to the gym. And that's what I did. I deleted social media for six months. I turned into a robot. 4 a.m. every day, going to the gym, therape uh, therapeutic exercises for two to three days a week. And the days I didn't have a therapy at my house, I was doing them on the other days. So I was doing it seven days a week. I was got into reading. I had a small circle group that I would like FaceTime and like kind of hold me accountable and keep me motivated. And I blinked and I was able to walk. And then the next month I was able to jump. I was able to run. I was able to flip. Um, so 14 months is the whole journey of, you know, like the whole uh, process of recovering. And um, to think about, like, to think, think about it from the step, taking a step back, I think my mindset was what scared the shit out of me, but my mindset also empowered me. Because now I'm a life and, health, uh, life and fitness coach, and I motivate people to overcome their challenges. I'm a professional skydiver. I have 75 skydives, and I'm motivating people to jump all the time. Uh, I professionally cliff jump. You know, I'm doing things I've never thought I would be able to do when I was in the hospital after the doctor told me that. And my biggest win is being on American Ninja Warrior twice since my accident. And before my accident, when I was super athletic, I was never on American Ninja Warrior. But now I am after my accident. So if I could leave you with anything from this, you might have limiting beliefs, you know, like um, self-sabotaging thoughts about the future, but it hasn't happened yet. There's always a flip side of the coin. So never give up. There was a theme of the night of alcohol, but I'm wondering how many people relate to this theme. I should have gone to the hospital, but I didn't. I'm sure there's anyone, anyone relate? <laughs> I won't have been in that moment. So uh, I've been a clumsy person, but this was probably the most clumsiest I've been in my whole life. Um, and some of you may have heard this story. I feel like I'm a broken record with this story, but it's probably a big one. Um, so where do I start? Um, I lost a battle between a patch of ice and a driveway in Texas, of all places. The one day that there was ice in Texas this past year. I, it was Galentine's. I was going to a Galentine's party and I was really excited because it was an Emily in Paris theme. And so I did all the research. I'd never seen Emily in Paris, so I watched the whole Netflix series just for this party. I went online and I researched how to bring a fancy French appetizer. So there was work. There was like some background that went into going to this party. So I was so excited, um, but I was running an hour late and I had gotten all this French food. And so way overdid it. I was loading up my arms with the stuff from my trunk and I was an hour late. I'm like, 
this should be two trips, but I can completely do it in one. And you know what that's like. You have your arms way too heavy. Um, and I had glassware and a vase and like just all this stuff. And so I was walking and so I couldn't see in front of me and I was in heels. And so I was walking up my friend's driveway and I could hear the laughing inside and there was music. And all of a sudden, both heels went out from under me simultaneously, the fastest and hardest I've ever fallen. So if I'm... <laughs> If I'm walking this way and you picture, my heels go out from under me and they went way up high and I came down like that holding about 40 to 50 pounds of stuff. Elbow first, dominant elbow, this one. <laughs> um, I can't remember the moment specifically because I think I blocked it out. Uh, I do remember the moment that it kind of came to. <laughs> um, because I had brought all my nicest dishware and like ridiculously my dishes and I remember not being able to get through the word dishes in my brain before going my elbow oh my gosh and I'm laying on the ground and just like just pain riddling through my body and like the thought of getting up the thought of moving the thought of breathing like everything hurt everything was not okay and uh, I could still hear the laughing inside and the music and everyone having a great time. And all of a sudden, my priorities were very different. <laughs> like, this just took a turn. Um, so I cried out for help probably two, three times before I realized that no one could hear me. And so I had to get my sorry self up. Um, I was going to an event very much like this about the same amount of people having known two people. So it was very much a place where I was going to meet new people. So I walk into the event. And very much like here, I was like, putting on a good face. Hi, my name's Emily. Good to meet you. I, uh, I felt, <laughs> funny thing, funny. Um, I fell on my elbow. Uh, could we, could we like, and girls were like, oh my gosh. Oh, they were drinking. <laughs> oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Underwater. Get this girl some champagne. Forget champagne. Get her a shot. And they, like, they got like, they were running me underwater and they put like two little band-aids on it. By that size, it was the size of a cantaloupe. So two little band-aids were going to do nothing. And then they were asking, uh, like, do you need to go to the hospital? Like, what do you need? What do you need? I'm like, you know what? I'll just like, I'll take some champagne and I'll put some ice on it. You know what? Like, it's going to be, I'm going to, it's going to be fine tomorrow. Like, it's just swollen. It's just, it's, it's going to be fine. And I was just like telling myself, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. And every time, and it, it, it looked bad. And so people kept asking me like, is your elbow, is your elbow okay? Like, <laughs> and so I'm like, it's fine. It's fine. And then um, the point where I realized this is not fine. Um, I had brought some baguettes and so I put I couldn't pick up the baguette so I picked up the baguette with this hand. I'm like well surely I can stabilize it with like two fingers and I can take a serrated knife and I can cut it like this and I did that with the serrated knife and like nerve pain all up my arm like this is not fine and so I stayed the whole party and this is the message of the story is I should have gone to the hospital but I didn't I stayed at the party from 7 p.m until 12 a.m and had the best time met some really great people like I did here tonight um, but I was driving home and I casually called the insurance company my elbow resting against the cold window driving with one hand with my insurance company on the speaker in my car I'm like so what should I uh, 
I was very unconfident. What should I do? Should I go to the hospital? Uh, should I go to the urgent care? Should I like ignore it? Like it's going to get better, right? And they said, girl, she was very upfront. Girl's going to be expensive no matter what. Just like go somewhere. And then I hung up with her and I told her, I told the girl on the phone, she was like trying to pep talk me. She's like trying to encourage me. She's like, you got to get, you got to take care of yourself. You got to go somewhere. And I like, I made it sound like, oh yeah, you're completely convincing me. And I hung up the phone. I'm like, no, I'm not going. <laughs> I'm just going to go home. This is a really big decision. I've never been to the hospital before. Like I'm going to go to sleep and it's going to wake up tomorrow and it's going to be better. There's not going to be anything wrong I was in such denial I did not want that nightmare to be happening I was yeah and so I got to the point where I got to my apartment and I went through the effort of like turning off my car like everything was an effort at that point turning off my car opening the car door getting my I know I left my purse in the car I didn't even pick up my purse like I walked up my apartment steps and I got into my apartment living room and I have to go up the stairs to go to my bedroom like to take off my makeup and take off my dress and everything like that's too that's too much uh I'm just gonna like sleep on the couch like this and I'm gonna wake up tomorrow and everything's going to be fine (laughs) and lo and behold I woke up at 4 a.m with crazy amounts of pain and everything was not fine that's when I realized yeah um I should have gone to the hospital and I didn't but I have to right now and uh so now I have some badass scar and some hardware and it was very much broken so next time maybe consider actually going to the hospital don't tell yourself it's going to be fine take care of yourself when you need to (laughs)